0: One two three four five My name is Francis McNamara, a native of Cashel, County Tipperary, sworn to be a tyrant's foe, and while I live, I'll crow I'll
1: crow I'll crow. For three long years I was beastly treated, and heavy irons on my legs I wore. My
2: okay, so that man singing—that's my partner, Mark Gregory. He's a musician, a folklorist, and some might say an obsessive. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and he's singing that song. He's singing. Morton Bay was written by, or maybe written by, another man, Frank the Poet, who really is the object of his obsession. Of
1: New South
2: Wales. Like the... to, to be truthful, it's just driven me crazy for years, his interest in him. I've had a bit of an aversion to some forms of folk music over the years because of their taram-taram-taram and predictability, but you've got to be careful, really, because a song like Morton Bay, I realise that even though I've heard it hundreds of times, I haven't really listened to it. And when you listen to it, it opens up a whole and new world. From bondage we are liberated
1: Our former sufferings will fade from mine All I
2: still more. say you're an obsessive, I don't care. You're, you are obsessed by Frank the Poet.
1: Well, what's obsessive? The Australian convict story is incredibly interesting. Frank the Poet tells that story from a convict's point of view. It's often hidden. He tells it in verse. That's incredibly attractive.
0: Growing weary from compulsive toil beneath the noontide sun, while drops of sweat bedew the soil, my task remains undone. I'm flogged for willful negligence, or the tyrants call it so. Ah, what a doleful recompense for labouring with the hoe.
2: These are really great lines, and they really do they embody a convict's point of view, I can see that. But you just dismiss the fact that maybe he writes it or maybe he doesn't write it. It seems that with Frank you can say, oh, he might have done this or he might have done that. Nobody seems to be able to pin him down. So that's what I don't understand.
1: He is very hard to pin down. But there are plenty of people who recognise what he wrote as being tremendously important in terms of Australian literature.
2: Yeah? <laughs> like who?
1: Les Murray, for instance.
3: Les, the poet. I would have got it from um, Meredith's uh, biography and the general idea that was floating around still that communists had been looking for a, a folk culture in Australia. In general, they found fairly slim pickings, so they were there. But uh, not a big thing, but there was one big thing. There's this wonderful piece of treasure called uh, Frank the Poet, who gives us the only poetic view of that system, the the, the convict system. It's a, a genial and humorous uh, vision, but it is nonetheless a hard vision of, uh, of what really happened, and the, the hell that convictism was. The first metropolis in Australian poetry is not Melbourne or Sydney, <laughs> it's hell. Uh, although Frank goes through there on a conducted tour by the devil, being shown all his old enemies, you know the commandants and the floggers and the uh, the officers and so on, all by name. They're all nearly all still alive when he wrote about them. A convict's tour to
0: hell, composed and written October twenty third, anno eighteen thirty nine, a poem by Francis McNamara. You prisoners all of New South Wales, who frequent watchhouses and jails. A story to you I'll tell. Tis of a convict's tour
3: to hell. It's a wonderful piece of performance, poetry. We wonder how many times it got performed. too. A lot of people would have committed it to memory and muttered it to each other around where the officers weren't looking. Whose valour had for years
0: been tried on the highway before he died. At length he fell to death a
3: prey. To him it proved a happy day. There's something a little bit deeper and tougher in it, uh, which you find at the heart of, of McNamara. You're beginning to look at, at a real alternative tradition, you know, which doesn't get echoed much in uh, in modern Australian verse. They, they carry on about it, but they've mostly borrowed it from America.
1: Well, well you can't understand Australian culture. if, in, in a sense, you only listen to the warders, you don't listen to the prisoners. Australia was made by the prisoners more
3: than the warders. I reckon it ought to be, if you're teaching Australian literature, it ought to stand at the beginning. This is of literature in English in Australia. The other opening is to start with Aboriginal verse, but then that probably has got to be done by Aborigines. Uh, But starting with verse in English, it ought to start with Frank. Downwards he
0: bent his course, I'm told, like one destined for Satan's fold.
3: I, uh, I I do sometimes feel Frank looking over my shoulder and uh, uh, I wouldn't want to let him down, <laughs> you know. Always remember that he is another dimension in our history and uh, and he's a validation of the individual as his own political party. I mean, I've, all, I've never belonged to any part of political party. A party of one is me. Stranger,
0: I say, from whence art thou? And thy own name, pray tell me now. Kind sir, I come from Sydney jail, my name I don't mean to conceal, and since you seem anxious to know it, on earth I was called Frank the Poet.
1: Frank the Poet is the real deal. Frank the Poet is a precious trace from the past that that we need to to
0: attend to, and then attend to, and And attend attend to, and attend to, and attend to. Frank, the snatch-and-grabber.
3: The Kilkenny
4: Journal, 18th January, 1832. Of the five persons sentenced to be transported, not one of them was a native of Kilkenny. They were all strangers. Stranger, I say, from whence art thou? To be transported for seven years, Francis McNamara, a real Calconian, for breaking the shop window of Mr John MacDonald and stealing therefrom a piece of worsted plaid. A piece of
0: worsted plaid.
4: The cross-examination of two witnesses by this prisoner afforded much amusement to the court. His peculiar accent, cutting remarks and mode of delivery were both quaint and forcible. On a verdict of guilty being returned, sentence was immediately passed and he was ordered from the dock. Prior to his leaving it, he flourished his hand and, with a cheerful and animated countenance, said, I dread not the dangers, by land or by sea, that
0: I'll meet on my voyage to Botany Bay. My labours are over, my vocation
5: is past, and tis there I'll rest easy and happy at last. And there I'll rest happy, contented at last. Well, it was interesting because it sounded as if he'd committed the offence in order to be transported, which wasn't all that uh, uncommon in the late 1820s and early 1830s. We have other documented cases of precisely the same thing, where convicts were committing crimes to be transported, sometimes to be reunited with their kin. But it was an expression of hard times bad harvests, bad weather conditions in Ireland and England in the late 20s and early 30s that led people to do this, to the extent that the Dublin Castle, that is, the government of the day, commissioned Bishop Ullathorne in Sydney to write a pamphlet called The Horrors of Transportation to uh, try to tell convicts that being transported was no no picnic. (laughs)
2: Prisoners, New South Wales, frequent our
6: story I tell.
0: Are you that person? Karen cried. I'll carry you to the other side. Five or sixpence I mostly charge. So, stranger, do not troubled be for you shall have a passage free.
7: Morning, passengers. The Woolwich service stopping at uh, Tam Street, Balmain, Grove Greenwich Woolwich, and Cockatoo Island. If you intend to travel anywhere else, this is not your ferry.
2: Okay, Mark. It's a it's a pretty grey, grim kind of day, isn't it? To be going to a place like Cockatoo Island, yeah. yeah? We know that Frank was moored on a ship of the, the Hulk, the Phoenix Hulk, off Cockatoo yes. for two years, which yes. is, I think, incredible.
1: And uh, he absconded from that ship, so he was brought back to it. So he was in a bit of Cockatoo.
2: And I guess when you were telling me that he was actually on Cockatoo in around 1842, is that yeah, right? Yeah. For, on bush ranging charges? That's
1: correct. He was He was here on the 11th of July, 1842. Putting so it... to the record.
2: So, what are you are you are taking me here today to say something about Frank? I...
1: Well, it's about the kind of hell that convicts endured, really, in in this kind of uh, penal station. Alas, cried the poet, I've
0: come to dwell with you and share your fate in hell, says Satan. That can't be, I'm sure, for I detest and hate the poor, and none shall in my kingdom stand except the grandees of the land.
2: He's so elusive, Frank, eh? I I love that about him. Yeah, well, he was anonymous
1: in many ways. I mean, that's part of the problem of ascribing material to him, because um, the need for anonymity was pretty big in those days. If you'd put your name to a scurrilous piece of verse, you would get a further sentence.
0: But Frank,
3: I think you're gone astray, for convicts never come this way. What he wrote down seems to have been a compendium of of convict verse, and sometimes you're a bit doubtful that it's Frank himself, and you you kind of run over it with a... uh, well, then I have slight suspicion, saying, "Does this sound like Frank? No, it's a bit more standard than Frank. Frank is really genuinely uh, different. Uh, he's uh, and better."
1: Using your own poet's nose, you've sort of it, it's all, said it, it, these
3: are these are the ones that are most likely to most be... most likely to be pure Frank. Yeah, and they come out of Ireland. You can the Irish references are everywhere, and it seems he may well have spoken Irish. I mean, most people still did then. And uh, certainly he came from Cashel in Southern Ireland, where where would have been an Irish-speaking city in those days. And um, he's in touch with the Irish traditions, like hedge poetry and protests against the, the slow, agonising English conquest of Ireland, you know, uh, which was in many ways a model for what was done to convicts. I mean, what, what was done to convicts was first tried out on Irish folk.
5: Well, uh, the main thing... To remember about uh, the british Ireland is that they took away the native irish land so that by by the end of the 17th century uh, most of the land in ireland is in the hands of uh, of protestant uh, landowners so frank
0: i think with an empty purse you shall go further and fare worse
5: well i think you have to see frank McNamara, although he had obviously a, a good Education he had read Robert Burns he had uh, must have read a translation of dante 's uh, Purgatory because of the convict 's tour to hell it 's a clear take from Dante. He was very well versed in in poetry and literature, but at the same time he 's part of the Irish bardic. Tradition And the feature of the Irish Bardic tradition is the ability to compose verse extempore, that is, uh, spontaneously. Now, we know that Frank was able to rattle off lines, as he did in the court at Kilkenny, uh, at the drop of a hat. 131. 132. 133.
0: 134.
7: 135. It was not uncommon to be beaten, but the average number of lashes that a convict would experience under their period of sentence was, you know, usually less than 50. However, there was a minority of prisoners who um, have a much, much harder time. In fact, there was a, you know, a convict term that was widely used in the 19th century for these kind of individuals. They were called out-and-outers, people who wanted out of the system and would make sure that they got out even if it was the, the end of a rope. You know, like Frank, people who were continuously insolent to authority, people who you know wouldn't let go of the bone, would, would hit back as soon as they saw something which riled them.
2: I was convicted by the laws Of England's hostile crown
8: Conveyed across those swelling seas
6: In slavery's bound
1: Marie, you know you yeah. have a problem with the predictability of old songs.
6: Some old songs. songs.
1: Well, just have well, a listen a a to some fall young fall fall musicians who've that discovered fall fall Frank.
6: freedom to
2: deplore And work the labouring <laughs>
8: I had known about Frank the Poet for a couple of years on the off chance of stumbling across his stuff and when we were thinking about a theme for this compilation album, uh, the work to Frank the Poet sort of were the perfect fit for what we were trying to do.
6: What anguish fills my aching
2: breast And almost drives me mad
8: in talking to a lot of artists and getting musicians interested in the project a lot of people have come back to us and said well this is kind of like Australia's blues tradition where we've got these convicts who often refer to themselves as slaves coming out to Australia against their will. One of the beautiful things about Francis McMahon, it's that type of history that isn't just a string of facts it's you know it's it's partly fact it's partly uh, oral history it's sort of Partly history and partly mystery is what, what I've been saying to a lot of people, that we've got a lot of skerricks of information about him, but then we have to try and rebuild the rest of his life to sort of try and understand the man that, that he was. One of the tenets of his personality that I uh, often consider is how eccentric and how belligerent he must have been. You know, We're talking about a guy who was punished consistently. He was never shut up and
0: he, he, he almost never got the message... This place was made for priests and popes. Tis a world of our invention. But, friend, I've not the least intention to admit such a foolish elf who scarce knows how to bless himself. Quoth Frank, were you mad or insane when first you
5: made this world of pain? What we know about Frank, ironically, is mostly from the punishment record kept by the authorities in Sydney, Newcastle, and uh, later, of course, Hobart and... uh, and Port Arthur, where he was incarcerated at different times. Fifty lashes, absconding from duty. One month treadwheels, disgraceful conduct. Twelve months irons, absconding two times. Twenty-three lashes, having a stolen shirt. Seventy-five lashes, insubordinate conduct. Three days solitary, absent from duty. Thirty-six lashes, destroying a government cart. One hundred lashes, obscene language. Seven days solitary, disobeying orders. Thirty-six lashes, refusing to work. 266, 267, 268,
0: 269, and oft times painted with crimson gore.
1: The Hulk was moored off Cockatoo Island for a while, so he would have known about the island that well, way.
2: He might have even got off and got on the he island. May have. Yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. know
1: about that. Report
4: from a convict who spent time on the Phoenix Hulk in Sydney Harbour in 1836. The men of the adjoining cell to that in which I and nine others were chained had been smoking a tobacco pipe one evening, contrary to the rules of the establishment when the keeper came to our cell and charged us as the offenders. He sent for ten pairs of handcuffs, took our shirts, blankets and clothes away, and manacling each of our hands behind our backs, he reefed the legs, which were heavily ironed, to the upper part of the iron stanchions of the cell by means of a bar outside, with the whole weight of our chains and our bodies pressing on our shoulder blades for the night in a state of perfect nudity. The Keeper's predecessor, Captain Murray, who'd practised similar cruelties, died in a state of mental derangement.
2: I'm wondering if Cockatoo Island is... Does it feature at all in that poem, in the epic poem, A Convict's Tour of Hell or To Hell?
1: It features through Captain Murray... Captain Murray was the commandant of the Phoenix Hulk because the first person he meets in hell after he's greeted by Satan is Captain Murray.
2: Well, you know what we can do? We can actually bring that poem up on the mobile. So hang on just a minute and I'll do it. The magic. Hang on, yep.
0: Well, cried the poet, since tis so, one thing of you I'd like to know. As I'm at present in no hurry, have you one here called Captain Murray? Yes, Murray is within this place. Would you, said Satan, see his face? May God forbid that I should view him.
1: (laughs) So Frank the Poet knew him, and in fact there's a little epigram that's attributed to Frank the Poet. He was drunk on the Phoenix Hulk. And Captain Murray punished him ten days in the cells, which meant solitary confinement. And Frank made up this little verse in response, asking for clemency. Captain Murray, if you please, make it hours instead of days.
0: For you know it becomes the Irishman to drown the shamrock while he can. (laughs)
1: Uh, Meredith and Whalen talk about a verse in Morton Bay about being the worst penal settlement in New South Wales.
3: And congratulating the Aborigines on killing um, Commandant Logan. Yes. Yeah.
1: What, uh, are, what are their great achievements? <laughs> <laughs> and, well, there was this exhilaration amongst the convicts. They got, they got Logan. <laughs> that Logan was killed. Uh. And uh, a native black lying there in ambush
0: did give this tyrant his mortal stroke.
1: Yeah, it might have happened like that.
3: It might have happened something else altogether, you know, having a, a crack at an Aborigine uh, with, with a whip and getting a spear in reply. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or, and it already upset the local tribes anyway by like various... The Yagara people. There were, and there were some of them in Morton Bay. Some of them were imprisoned in Morton Bay. Oh, there would be.
6: A mortal stroke Now, fellow prisoners, be exhilarated That all such monsters such death may find Who
0: is that, sir, in yonder blaze who on fire and brimstone seems to graze? Tis Captain Logan of Morton Bay.
1: Now, just getting back to that Morton Bay ballad... One of the theories that John Meredith and Rex Whalen have is that at Port Arthur, Frank the poet was there at the same time as John Kelly, Ned Kelly's dad. Yeah. And Ned Kelly cites that particular verse in his Gerildry letter.
3: You can bet Ned certainly heard all of, all about Frank the poet.
5: But more turn Bay, you'll find no equal, nor Fog Island. Or Emu Plains
6: At Castle Hills And Kirstoon Gabby And all time places in New South Wales
0: Frank the Lashed
2: Well, looking over here at the um, Conflict Museum at Sydney's Hyde Park Barracks, so this is a cut of nine tails, eh?
1: See the little tails, nine of them, with knots at the end. Each lash, you imagine, done with force, would gradually rip the back apart, basically. They called it the stripes, my stripes, because it left these scars for the rest of your life, so you had these stripes on your back. There's stories about the blood was so much that it was filling their boots, people watching it being sprayed with blood and bits of skin while they were watching this spectacle of punishment.
2: You can really understand that for convicts then, I guess like Frank, it was, it was a form of torture. Would you yes, say Yes,
1: it was a form of torture, yeah. Today, in today's world, it would certainly be called torture. Well, this here is, the frame here has got three legs and McNamara puts it this way. People were mangled at the triangles of Morden Bay...
7: It's a theatrical punishment. Convicts in gangs were routinely mustered to watch floggings. A a hundred lashes could last an hour. The primary object of a flogging was to make the convict scream. A convict who was game was said to be a pebble. that they, They kept their mouth shut through the whole ordeal. It was very, very common for the convict to be unconscious by the time the punishment had finished. 347. 348,
0: 349.
3: I mean, a, a, a dry account of the convict system would, uh, would not give you the feel of it the way Frank had. And uh, we are lucky that we've got him because there's nothing else in Australian poetry uh, which gives us much of a feel of it. Frank the petitioner and the scourger Duffy.
1: And then another of his petitions about the flogger Duffy... Oh, Duffy the, the, the cook. They, where they, they f- refuse to eat his food because he's been we're, a flogger. We're, yeah. So, now, where exactly is Duffy? Which is like a, a, a bit like a hunger strike in a way, isn't it?
3: Ah, here we are, yeah. A petition from the chain gang at Newcastle to Captain Furlong, the superintendent, praying him to dismiss a scourger named Duffy from the cookhouse and appoint a man in his room, a man in his place, you know. <clears throat> Our jaws now daily will grow thinner and stomachs weak as I'm a sinner. For Duffy and a hu- is a human skinner, most barbarous wretch. Each day I'd rather have my dinner cooked by Jack Ketch. It matters not whether salt or fresh, even his touch would spoil each dish. His cooking we can never relish. We'd rather starve, for be assured, tis human flesh he best can carve. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? Ah. Our jaws now daily will grow thinner.
0: A stomach squeak as I'm a sinner, for Duffy is a human skinner. Most barbarous wretch, most barbarous wretch... Whereas
7: flogging is a very you know, visceral punishment, solitary confinement is a much, much more difficult punishment to, to um, protest about, that there's nobody there to see you suffer. I mean, if you shout or you scream in a solitary cell, nobody can hear it. Nobody cares.
0: Nobody hears. Nobody cares. Frank the isolated.
6: Okay, these are the uh, solitary cells. The way the cells were planned, they're two back-to-back cells. Neither of them have any windows, so they're completely damp and, and dark. If we look down onto the floor, you'll see there's sort of three grooves within the, um, the stone floor and remnants of what was a timber sort of floor structure. Even though they're, they're very damp and dank, they at least gave them a timber floor to sleep
2: on.
5: By being in a very confined space and dark, it was sensory deprivation as well. I think the maximum amount was around 28 days.
2: I saw in in some of the information from the island that for insolence you might get 21
5: days. Depends. It was insolence to who, I think, yeah.
7: (laughs) You have convicts who compare flogging with solitary confinement. I mean, although solitary confinement was meant to be a more humane punishment, um, they feared it just as much, but for different reasons. Um, One convict said of solitary confinement, the brain is the seat of all pain very dreadful. So it's, I mean, it's not just a, a punishment which was designed to get you to reflect. It was a punishment which was designed to segregate you, to, to move you off into a sort of classified space. It was thought to be part of a, a new way of, of managing working class malcontents. Working class malcontents.
0: Just as I spoke, a coach and four came in full haste to the door, and about six feet of mortal sin without leave or license trudged in. At his arrival three cheers were given, which rend, I'm sure, the highest heaven, and all the inhabitants of hell with one consent rang the great bell, which never was heard to sound or ring since Judas sold our heavenly king. Drums were beating, flags were hoisting. There was never such rejoicing, dancing, singing joy or mirth in heaven above or on earth. Straight away to Lucifer I went, to know what these rejoicings meant. Of sense, cried Lucifer, I'm deprived, since Governor Darling arrived. With fire and brimstone I've ordained him.
2: Well, such a beautiful church outside here. We're standing outside St James Church and there's, a, there's um, etched into the sandstone, is this plaque which says, in memory of Francis Greenway, architect of this church and of the artisans and labourers who erected it. So, it doesn't say anything about convicts, though.
1: No, it doesn't say anything about convicts, but it's entirely convict-built, convict-designed, convict-built. And it's the most beautiful church in Sydney, And I want to take you inside because there's a plaque there that connects this church to Francis McNamara, Frank the Poet.
2: Okay, so what's this then? It's this amazing, actually, amazing head of a man on on another big marble plaque. He looks so Roman.
1: It's Robert Wardell, killed in 1834, by a guy called John Jenkins, a bush ranger. The trial of Jenkins was absolutely overflowing with the dignitaries of Sydney because Wardell looked like he was in line to become the Attorney-General of New South Wales. And what's interesting about Wardell, is one of the many names that Frank the Poet put into a convict's tour to hell.
0: Hark, do you hear this dreadful yelling? It comes from Dr Wardell's dwelling.
2: What about Jenkins? Jenkins
1: gets in there too,
2: oh, both, which is
1: even more extraordinary.
2: They're both in there.
1: They're both in the same poem.
2: And the, I, can, I can only guess what Frank has done with them, where he's put Wardell and where he's put Jenkins.
0: Says Peter, where's your certificate? Pray, who in heaven do you know? Well, I know Brave Donahue, young Troy, and Jenkins, too.
1: But what's interesting about the trial and the report of the trial, it really focuses on the killer Jenkins. And you learn a lot about Jenkins' attitude to the court. There's nothing retiring about him. He just says it as he finds it.
4: I acknowledge I shot the doctor, but it wasn't for gain. It was for the sake of my fellow prisoners. Because he was a tyrant. And I have one thing to recommend to you as a friend. If any of you take to the bush, shoot every tyrant you come across. And there are several now in this yard who ought to be so served. The
7: Frank the Bush Ranger. Remember how in the poem Frank slips into hell, it's because he's shot on the roads as a bushranger.
4: The Sydney Gazette, 2nd June, 1842. About 10 o'clock on the night of the 30th Ultimo, Sergeant Michael Doyle and two troopers fell in with a party of five bushrangers at the foot of Razorback and succeeded in apprehending them. They're now safely lodged in jail at Campbelltown. Their names are Francis McNamara, John Jones, Edward Allen,
5: William Thompson.
7: A bushranger in official speak is you know, the, the the sort of ultimate wicked act to take up arms against the state. But in you know in the poem, it's turned into this thing which will send you straight to heaven. Frank, the preacher.
2: I I really like this church because it's got a certain kind of plain elegance about it and all the beautiful dark wood.
1: And we've got this magnificent pulpit in front of us. You can only guess what Frank the poet might have done given the chance to preach from there.
2: No, don't tell me, I can imagine.
1: Well, he was known as a preacher in a number of cases. He took the part of a missing parson or a missing priest and gave the service and the convicts and also sometimes the soldiers who were guarding them were so intrigued by the way his preaching that they wanted to know more about it. Where did he get his ideas from? Frank was a biblical scholar, really. When you read some of his poetry, he knew a lot about the Bible.
2: I didn't get a sense from you before, though, that he was... Uh, religious.
1: Oh. I think he was religious and I suppose if you looked at a convict's tour to hell you'd have to say that is full of biblical references.
7: We used to think that convicts had very little sense of God, heaven and hell because 19th century commentators on working class culture in general but particularly the transported said that they were godless. That they you know, belonged to a lumpen proletariat that believed in little more than honor amongst thieves. However, in more recent years, we've looked at the descriptions of prisoners. About one in five male convicts and one in six female convicts were tattooed. So, after family initials, religious iconography is the most common thing found on convict bodies, that many of them are um, tattooed with images of Christ on the cross. Some of them even have verses from Scripture, like, Thou shalt not steal, actually inscribed on their bodies. And the more that we actually look at these, the, the, the more there seems to be um, you know, a sense that convicts identified with characters in the Bible who were victims. And this, in some ways, shouldn't be surprising at all because it's the, exactly the same kind of trick that's used by slaves in the New World it was very easy for slaves to identify with the children of Israel, that they'd been forced into slavery in a foreign land. And I think that there's a similar sense with convicts, that that they're flogged, that um, they go through all of these punishments, makes it quite easy for them to identify with the sufferings of Christ. And, you know, after all, I mean, Christ was crucified next to two thieves.
3: Frank the Worker. He's bound up with a history of of coal mining and and Newcastle and all that too, the beginnings of Australian industry. He's got a couple of poems about, uh, one, he was working as a shepherd up at Peel River towards where Tamworth now is, sleeping in a box that might to keep the uh, dingoes from eating him. Frank the Shepherd. And then he gets orders to report to Newcastle to work underground because they, they worked Stripped naked in uh, in these sweaty, dangerous uh, holes, breathing uh, dust, and it was a very dangerous set of uh, working conditions. And he realised he's not going to do it. He, he, this is where he jacks up, and he writes this uh, this poem. I quote from it: It doesn't sound like an Australian, Irish Australian kind of uh, protest poem. For the company underground, Francis McNamara of Newcastle to J Crossdale Esquire, greeting. When Christ from heaven comes down straightway, all his father's laws to expound, McNamara shall work that day for the company underground. When the man in the moon to Morton Bay is sent in shackles bound... sent to shackles bound. McNamara, McNamara, McNamara shall
2: work that
5: day for the company underground.
2: When keep of good hope to Topo Bay comes to change a pound. McNamara, McNamara, McNamara shall McNamara work
6: that day for the, the company underground. underground.
3: Macnamara shall work that day for the company underground, and that's what you get in Gaelic poetry, you know, Irish poetry. It's very much as if it's a translation from Irish.
1: And it's, it's interesting because it's a petition. Yeah. Now, oh, that, a... that
3: one's not a petition. That's the one where he's where he's refusing. Okay. The, the petition comes straight from the AA company's flocks at peels through it on behalf of the Irish bard. There's something interesting about Frank's petitions. They're in verse. They're in verse, and uh, these are supposed to be spoken by the sheep that he's looking after up at Peel's River.
1: Which is like a, a lovely um, bit of insolence, in a way, to oh, send always... a petition from your flock of sheep. Yeah, it's than absolutely, send us,
3: yeah. If they treated the convicts as well as they treated their sheep, they'd been very good fellows. <laughs> By permission of the Great Esquire Hall, being assembled here to this day, unanimously bleating all for him that's far away. Our noble sires in the rich Wales of Germany long sported, but at last we to New South Wales by the company were imported. We were born across the main from Holland and from Russia, same from Saxony, more from Spain, France, Switzerland and Prussia. We, the prime of the company's stock, fat wethers rams and ewes, none excepted, all the flock peeled for the poet's woes. On, oft he has charmed with his notes the plains of fair kalala to him we owe our fleecy coats our flesh our hides our tallow he ever proved our constant friend dis plain from our contrition in his behalf therefore we send the following petition they're trying to get uh, crossdale to uh, to let him off this assignment to uh, to being a uh, effectively a slave in a uh, in a coal mine so but, a but the whole of... the whole or- irony of it is that the sheep are uh, speak up on the part's behalf
1: but the other thing is that this is kind of industrial poetry in the oh, yeah. sense that it's talking about working conditions oh, yeah. and refusal to do work, which is particularly Our dangerous. cries from the
3: hills shall resound to the extremes of the poles. If our friend goes underground at Newcastle to wheel coals, why should the poet be sent down to toil in a coal pit? Such service best suits a clown, but not a man of wit.
2: If you think of the treadmill at the gym, usually there's only... I've only ever seen one person on it, but this little miniature they've um, designed uh, to represent it, it's got one, two, three... There's five blokes this side and five blokes that side. So there's ten blokes standing side by side. And the point would be that they wouldn't be able to get off it. So it says here that the larger treadmill was worked by 36 prisoners at a time with 18 on each side. I mean, it must have been
6: Huge.
1: They had an intention of getting as much labour out of convicts as possible, and they thought, well, if they spent all day grinding corn by walking on this rotating kind of mill, they would get their penneth out of them, so to speak, and they could do a 1,000 kilograms a day. In Sydney, there were two treadmills at Carter's Barracks, which is now where Central Railway is, and Frank spent time on treadmills there. He also was flogged for refusing to go on the treadmill.
0: 411. 412.
1: 413. I mean, there's a lot of evidence he's coming out of a personal crisis. This is with a convict's tour to hell and those... Um, three verse petition. I mean,
3: uh, he, he could have gone into into, into a depression and uh, written uh, a kind of poem of revenge, but instead he maintains his uh, equanimity and his his self control. He is master of himself, mm. and he does it beautifully. I suspect towards the end of his life, he, he had a, a different kind of crisis. He was sent to Tassie, and, uh, and I suspect there that uh, they broke his spirit, for a, at least for a while. And I think, I think it might have been prison rape that caused it. He mentions rape in one little poem, you know, about mm. Van Diemen's land, uh, a land of buggers, fare thee well. Van Diemen's land, a land of buggers, fare thee well. And he comes back to New South Wales and he's also recovered his equality back in New South he Wales. He
1: followed the gold, basically, like a lot of uh, convicts and ex convicts from Tasmania. Well, you would, would you? Yeah.
0: Frank the gold miner.
1: Well, in eighteen forty nine Frank gets his pardon in Tasmania. He's living in Launceston at that time and he takes off. He goes Bush, not in Tasmania, but he goes Bush In mainland Australia.
2: It's interesting because you told me, I remember ages ago, you know, years ago, the poet became a gold prospector. The the convict became a gold prospector.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there were thousands and thousands of people who became gold prospectors in the 1850s. And that's when Frank struck gold. There's an article in the Sydney Morning Herald Mm. in 1853 where he's gold mining in Tamburura, and they call him Frank the Poet. They didn't refer to him as Francis McNamara, they referred to him as Frank the Poet. This sort of sneeringly, the journalist says at the end of the Herald article that he expects Frank is much more useful for his brawn than for his brains.
2: So why would he say that? I, I don't understand, because I, I, how old would Frank have been now?
1: He'd have been 42
2: OK, so he's 42. He's, like, how old was he when he arrived in the colony?
1: He was 21.
2: OK, so he's 20 years on. He's obviously got a name. He's got a reputation as a poet. Poets are thinkers. Why would the Herald journalists talk about him like that?
1: Because his poems were so full of blasphemy and so political, so against convictism.
2: So the poet becomes a gold miner.
1: Well, remember, he was a miner,
2: Ah, when he left Ireland. Yes, 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 yes.
1: According okay. to the ship's record, anyway, the prison ship record, Frank was the only miner on that ship.
2: But the interesting thing I want to know is was he successful?
1: Yes, he was successful. He made a lot of money at uh, Hill End. Frank the
2: Rich. How do you know?
1: Well, it, when he dies, in 1861 in Mudgee, there's a coroner's report. And his friend, who'd worked with him at Hill End, says Frank made sometimes hundreds of pounds a week digging gold in Hill End.
2: It's, oh, it's so funny. So this was
1: eight years before he died.
2: So this is the coroner's report and you would think, well, that's evidence and it's supposed to all be very truthful and so on. But it sounds to me like... It sounds weird that this guy would be making this much money, but he, but he was living in pretty poor circumstances. Well, he's, he's such a fascinating figure because he comes and he goes and he, now you see him, now you don't, a little bit... He's a very mysterious person.
1: And that's been the problem in tracking him down. From his poetry, you learn that he's Frank the Poet first. Then he becomes Frank the Poet in the newspapers... And now he turns up with the name Hill what Frank the Hill well, in the coroner's report, his friend says that he went by the other, another name Hill.
2: so Frank McNamara becomes Frank Hill at some point.
1: I think so, yes. why? Well, to disguise for whatever reason and there's plenty of reasons that an ex-convict could find for disguising what they once were.
6: Western Post, 31st of August, 1861. Sudden death. An inquest was held on Friday morning by W. King Esquire at the Fountain of Friendship on the body of Francis McNamara.
4: alias Hill better known as Frank the Poet. Robert Welsh, having been sworn, said the deceased had resided with him at Clay Pipe Diggings. They came into Mudgee together on Wednesday. Deceased left him, promised to meet him by a certain time at McGuigan's.
6: He went to Phillips and found him in bed.
4: He was half drunk.
6: Had known him for eight years. He had a complaint which caused him to spit blood.
4: He earned a great deal of money.
6: And spent it very freely
4: had known him to earn hundreds a week at Tamburora.
6: The wind used to annoy him very much in the hut in which he resided.
4: He was no better off for his visit to Mudgee.
6: The day before, they'd been drinking. On and off all day.
4: On and off all day.
6: Arthur Thomas Piggott Cutting, being duly sworn, stated that he was a duly qualified medical practitioner.
4: He'd viewed and examined the body... And it was his opinion
1: that the deceased came to his death...
6: ..by the effects of cold and inanition.
1: Not looking after yourself, not eating properly. The coroner's report also mentions his heavy drinking. So inanition was often used as a term to describe people who drank rather than
2: ate. Mm, I think my Irish grandfather died of inanition, actually. (laughs)
1: Constructing himself as Frank the Poet was a life project for, for Francis McNamara, uh, and he did it, he succeeded in it. He was recognised as that. There was no other Frank the Poet. I know some people have suggested that maybe there were many other Francis McNamaras who all called themselves Frank the Poet. I think the onus
7: would be on people who, who claim that to prove it. I mean, I think that he's somebody that you'd love to meet, isn't he? Um, you know, from the safe distance of um, the 21st century, you know, I'd love to sit down and you know, have a jar with Frank, but I'm just not sure that if I was a convict trying to keep my nose clean, that that's what I want to do. He was too subversive.
3: I suppose a lot of poets have got an instinct for dangerous ground. You walk out on dangerous ground because that's where the, the demons are and the interesting figures. <laughs>
8: These songs are important standing on their own two feet no matter who wrote them. It's great that we've got this quirky little mystery about who Francis McNamara was and and whether or not he wrote all of them or some of them or one of them. But at the end of the day, that's a great sort of way to weave these songs together, but it doesn't really matter who wrote them. What matters is the, the content. We tend to look as a, at America as our own source, yet, you know, all this stuff, the Frank stuff, is basically where songwriting began in Australia, apart from the the Aboriginal uh, um, body of work. For me, as a songwriter, it's, it's darn important because it's kind of like our blues. This is like our Mississippi River, you know, the muddy waters of uh, Australia.
0: 582.
2: 583. 584. The Pope farewells and hurried off to hell. The gate
1: Marie, you know that you've been saying that you've been living with me and Frank for 30 years. Well, I've got news for you. 30 years ago, the historian Russell Ward wrote. Frank's life and verse will be of even more concern to Australians a hundred or a thousand years hence. Well
2: I don't know about the thousand but if that's the case, I give in Frank's the man. Frank's the man from came Your name pretty.